I think what's important, what they invest in themselves, not only what we make them do or require them to do, but what they do on the outside has certainly showed and proven to be very, very beneficial. We opened that weight room in January of 2015. Since that time, we are 171 over 72 and with four championships, two regular season championships and two conference tournament championships. Because you know what? Every day, we basically ask these kids to go out here and adjust, to get better. And I think if we're not willing to adjust ourselves, you know, how much better are we going to get? Because things do change, and you've got to be able to change with them. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo, measure to master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Scott Berry, head coach at Southern Miss. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Berry. Welcome back to the farm system. We're sitting down with Scott Barry, head coach of Southern Miss. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, coach, a big part of us having you on, I mean, uh, I was talking to Bo about this. I mean, when I saw your bio online, I mean, I had to take a couple stops, how to get a coffee break in. I mean, that thing is you got you got some tincture there. You got some accomplishments. So not only on top of that, but everything you've done over there in Southern Miss and the heights that you brought it to, um, we just want to grab you on and pick your brain for a little bit. Well, uh, that bio probably reflects my age, I guess, let's <laughs> just say. So, yeah. uh, no, you know, guys have been really fortunate with my career and being surrounded by really good people from staff to players and uh, blessed in that aspect kind of have the longevity that I've I've had in this in this baseball profession. Yeah, absolutely. And before we really open up the show, Coach, can you give our listeners a little background of yourself by taking them through your journey to get to this point in your career? Well, uh I was I grew up in Missouri, a little town called Neosho in southwest Missouri, just below Joplin. You know, was played three sports there, baseball, football, and basketball. Attended uh, Crowder College, which is there in Neosho, where I played a couple of years. And then from there, I, uh, I signed and went to Nickel State in Thibodeau, Louisiana, where I had a career-ending uh, injury, had two back surgeries, hurt my back. and That's what kind of moved my uh, baseball career in the direction of, of coaching. So from that point, I went to Southwest Missouri State, which is now Missouri State University where I was a student assistant, a graduate assistant, and and uh, what we would call today a volunteer before I really got my first uh, paid assistant job 
and that was at Meridian Community College in Meridian, Mississippi. When I moved there in 1990, was an assistant for six years, and then uh, took over as the head coach uh, in 97, where I was for four years as the head coach there. And then uh, Coach Palmer, who hired me at Meridian, who left in 96 to go to Southern Miss, brought me down here after he was uh, appointed the head coach. And I moved here in 2000 and uh, was his assistant for nine years. And uh, and then these past nine have been the head coach. That's awesome. No, and uh, no, that's one thing when we're, you know, I always wanted to pick your brain about is when you look around the nation at other schools and then you reflect on Southern Miss, what sets that school apart from any of the other schools in the nation? Well, I think tradition. You know, honestly, we we talk a lot about tradition and being able to uphold that. Uh, it took a long time to to build it. There were periods in in the history of our program where we did make some regionals. Uh, Coach Denson did a great job with the program. He built the stadium uh, in in ninety, and they went to a regional there in ninety ninety one, but. You know, we were able to go to nine straight regionals starting in 03 all the way to 2012. Wow. And then uh, had, a little, had a little time off for four years we didn't. And then we've been to the past three regionals. So I think when you look at uh, our program and, and what we've been able to build, I think uh, tradition, number one, stands out for me. Number two, fan base. We're always in the top 20 in the country and total attendance at the end of the year, which reflects the passion that our fan base has for baseball here at Southern Miss and um, the Pine Belt area of, of South Mississippi. So it's a, it's a unique venue. It's a unique program with a very passionate fan base that loves baseball. Yeah, man. When you kind of talk about the tradition and, and building that program, I'm sure you guys have narrowed down, you know, the type of guy you guys go after when you recruit. Can you kind of open up? the kid you you guys do target to fit the multi, uh, culture you've created there at Southern Miss? Well, certainly we want that blue collar guy. I mean, we've, uh, that's, that's kind of what I prided myself growing up. Uh, you know, I was a, from a family that really worked and worked hard and, uh, you know, I appreciated everything that, that I worked for and got. And that's, uh, what's been carried over here to, to our program and the kind of uh, player that we're looking for. You know, we're also looking for high character, those that make good decisions off the field. You know, on the field is just a small part of it, but what you do off the field really reflects uh, what you're going to be and how and, and how you can become the player we want you to on the field. So character is very important to us and uh, in, in what we're trying to build here. But, you know, I like guys that play more than one sport. You know, I think uh, – you know, not that we don't sign guys that just play baseball only, but, you know, I'm attracted to a guy that plays football or, or basketball or any other sport, honestly, that's that's uh, played a part in their development and will continue to play a big part in their development in the in the total athlete that, that is being built and what we're trying to, to build here. So tough guy, high character, good student, goal-oriented, and, and somebody that, that really uh, can see – things in their future and willing to work for it. Awesome. Yeah, no, and that, you know, thanks for opening that up for us. And now when you, you know, once you get those players on campus, um, a big question now going around, of course, nowadays of, as well, is when you get those players, how does your program approach uh, player development? 
Well, I'll tell you what, three years ago, we built a weight room, a little over a half million dollar weight room here on site. So as far as our facility goes, uh, there is nothing that we have to leave our area for. We have everything here. We have our training room here, locker room here. Uh, we've got our weight room here, our clubhouse, everything. Our coaches' offices are right here on site. So that, that weight room, the strength and conditioning part that we uh, invest in our players and I think what's important, what they invest in themselves, not only what we make them do or require them to do, but what they do on the outside has certainly showed and proven to be very, very beneficial in our success. Three, we opened that weight room in January of 2015. Since that time, uh, we, we are 171 over 72 losses and uh, with four championships, two regular season championships, and two uh, conference tournament championships. So the reason I know that is because uh, with our ring ceremony two two weeks ago where we presented our team last year with their conference championship rings, I also presented three very, very important donors who contributed a substantial amount of money towards that weight room. And I really feel like that a big part of our success here of late has been that weight room and, and the development, both physically and mentally, that uh, that it's allowed us to to bring with each one of those individuals. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you guys love that, you know, all there being on the site. I also wanted to take that a step further, player development, kind of a continuing process and really goes into what you guys do on a daily basis. Uh, can you kind of take us through what a day of practice looks like for the Golden Eagles and then take us through your fall progression? Well, we usually start our fall team practice uh, late the third week of September. This year it was September 21st, and we went to November the uh, 4th. So uh, during that time period is when we really try to put our philosophy in place where we get everything on on the same page with everybody, all our communications in there, how we're going to do things. You know, a lot of times I, I think everybody across the country pretty much does the same things, the terminology may be what's different. So, and communication is a big part of our philosophy uh, that we're able to communicate with one another and to be able to do that, uh, understanding how we do things from, from relays to, to PFP to who's, who's calling ball, you know, fly ball priority. All those things are built into our practice. Uh, right now, it seems like that the challenges have been trying to get everybody on the field at the same time because of class scheduling. So what we usually do is, is we usually start out with BP first and we'll have some guys join us late who may have labs, especially upperclassmen who have, uh, you know, higher level classes that labs only meet in the afternoon. And we usually try to do the BP first because that's a little bit more of individual stuff. Uh, as far as that goes. And then we do all our team stuff late, which would be bump defenses, first and thirds, relays, fly ball communication, all those things that uh, that require to be in place to, to win baseball games. So, uh, you know, we feel like that it's a, a very efficient time. You know, it's not, it's not all about quantity. It's about quality and what we do. I'm not interested in staying out there forever. I'm interested out in, in going out there and and getting the things done that we uh, have on that schedule for that day and, and getting them done right. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And coach, I know you already mentioned that and you kind of walked through, but uh, could you kind of take us through, uh, I think BP um, varies so much between programs nowadays. Can you take us through like what a day of uh, BP would look like for you guys' program? Well, you know, early rounds in BP, as, uh, what we would have, we would have three groups. Uh, uh, honestly, we would have one group that's hitting at home plate. We'd have another group that's getting drill work. Uh, what whatever's decided that day, the drills are going to do down in the cages, and then we'd have a shag group that is also shared with the pitchers that aren't throwing pins. We try to throw all our pins during that BP time, but you know a standard BP uh, on any particular day, maybe uh, maybe count situated. We may do several different things. The uh, early on, we're going to ask the guys to to handle the bat in different situations, whether it be runner at second, moving him, or we're looking for certain pitches that we can do that situation. Uh, maybe it's hit runs, maybe it's bunts, however it's built. You know, the next the next round might be straight middle of the field, anything in between. We want to stay middle of the field between the, the second baseman and the shortstop. Learning how to manipulate the bad head and control the bad head, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, and then, you know, there at the end of those swings, we may do some where it's just basically free swings where you're going to drive the ball and move the ball in the location that it's pitched. We like to always incorporate some of our offensive stuff at the end of practice with some type of game situation where we're actually looking at the different situations and making sure that if we make a mistake that we can stop it and address it. And I'll tell you what also that we really stress in the fall is to fail. You know, I really feel like that in the fall that you're going to win games by failure. Certainly in the spring, you're going to lose games by failure. So the key to failure is is being able to learn from it and and move past it and, and not just learn yourself, but learn from your teammates. So, you know, we try to put those situations in place where, where kids do fail and, and it's not a time to get on them. You know, it may be if we continue to do the same thing over and over that's causing us to fail and we're not learning from it. But uh, fall's all about winning from failure, and we really, really stress that. Yeah, I think that's such a huge point there. Um, it definitely when you're building your culture throughout your program, especially early in the year. Now, when you guys, you know, move move through this player development uh, process, um, how does uh, Southern Miss utilize any uh, technology? You know, we do have Sports Vision. That's a camera system that's in place. It has seven seven different angles that we can can utilize from on the pitch on the pitcher, both uh, behind home plate, center field, and both sides, both first base and third base side. And the same way with the hitter. So, from a mechanic standpoint, we utilize that. That all, that program also has uh, pitch speed, uh, exit speed. So all those things that our assistant coaches, Coach Kai, Coach Ostrander, and Coach Valmuth use in, in helping kids develop and move move forward in, in their game and what we're trying to do. Maybe it's a change up that the speed's a little bit uh, a little bit quick. And we're trying to kill a little bit of that velocity to create that deception, or maybe it's a certain pitch that a kid is not really seeing that it's it's inside or outside. He feels like it's a different location. And certainly through the camera system, we can we can pinpoint that and and open his eyes up to what maybe he's not really seeing to help him understand where those locations are. So it's a valuable tool, has been for a long time. It's obviously changed, 
You know, it used to be with a tripod and a, or a handheld video camera back in the days, uh, you, you know, to where now it's stationary cameras that are located within your, your venue. Yeah, interesting. We appreciate you opening that up. I want to know how you guys approach uh, inner squads or setting up, you know, pitcher, hitter, live at bats in the fall. And how do you guys progress through the fall as far as uh, setting up live situations? Well, early on, before we ever take the field for that September 21st practice, as we build the arm strength, the pitchers and the bullpens, the last time before we start practice, they'll go out and, and go one-on-one with a hitter. You know, we, I certainly don't want to start inner squads with uh, with a pitcher not seeing a live hitter or a live hitter seeing a pitcher. So we try to build up to that point to where September 21st we're hitting the ground running because we don't have a lot of time. And mm-hmm. uh, well, we're not going to soak up a lot of innings over the course of that uh, that 45-day period with each pitcher. We want to put them out there multiple times. Sometimes it may be situational. You know, if we're looking for a guy to uh, to uh, come in late in the game on on the back end, then we'll put him in a situation with a runner at first, nobody out, and uh, try to induce a ground ball and try to keep them from scoring. Uh, you know, starters are a little bit different. We'll let them build up to three and four innings in the fall, uh, certainly as as we try to develop those pitches that enable them to do that. So. But from a uh, from an inner squad uh, standpoint, we try to put people in different positions. Certainly, uh, defensively, that's going to help us uh, use uh, and win baseball games. You know, we like to recruit athletic guys that are that allow them to move. I think that's uh, that that gives you a great advantage in being able to to win baseball games uh, and not just burn guys uh, that are solely. DHs or solely first baseman. You know, we want good athletic people that we can move, and we try to find out what those roles are in the fall. Yeah, I like that. Now I want to transition a little bit here, coach. As you opened up earlier, you have a lot of assistant coaching and um, associate head coaching experience. Can you kind of touch on how that helped you as you transitioned to uh, become a head coach? Uh, what challenges you faced, and then advice you have for coaches going through something similar? Well, you know, any young coach starting out right now, it seems like we are in an age and a society that we want it now. You know, I think you have to understand that there are very few jobs for a lot of people that want to coach at the college level. Uh, There's only so many of those jobs out there. So you have to be patient. You have to be willing to pay your dues. You know, you have to be willing to do other things. I mean, when I was at Southwest Missouri State, I mean, I worked for the physical plant, painting all the fields from rugby to archery to field hockey to to everything, uh, to football practice fields, to roofing houses. Uh, you know, I can remember on shoot seven pitch houses, I'm sitting there trying to, to walk across those houses <laughs> early in the morning just to try to make a living to stay in this business. So, you know, I think there's there's a lot of sacrifices that if you're a young guy and you're wanting in it that you have to understand you're going to have to do. I mean, it's just not going to come very quick for the majority of the people. Uh, but, you know, I'll be honest, the guys that I worked for, Coach Gutton at Southwest Missouri State, he's still there now, has done a tremendous job with their program for, for many years, since 1983, and he's still there. I mean, you never hear of those guys anymore that are like that, that continue on at one place. But, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate as a student coach and also as a graduate assistant and then volunteer 
the responsibilities that he gave me in, in helping with the program. You know, then Coach Palmer at Meridian, man, he's probably the best that I've ever worked for in just letting you work and uh, really just giving you uh, the responsibility of, hey, it's yours. I'm, out, I'm staying out of the way. And uh, that's what I hired you to do. And that's exactly the words that he used in 1990 when he hired me. And it was learn on the job really quickly. But you know what? That's what we all want. That's what I try to uh, to give my guys right now with Coach Kaye, Coach Ostrander, Coach Valmuth. Uh, and, and I'm so fortunate. That's that's what they want. And, uh, you know, I, I rely heavily on them to, to go out and, and get it done. And just like uh, was given to me, that responsibility is an assistant as well. Awesome. Well, and too, I think, um, you know, I think this would be a great thing to open up as well is definitely being that associate head coaching job, obviously right before transitioning into the head coach. What is the difference between those two roles? And was it as smooth as you thought it was going to be making that transition? You know, there's, I mean, obviously the difference is, is it, it all falls on you. When you're the head coach, I mean, it's just, I mean, just like yesterday in the compliance, it's head coach responsibility was the topic yesterday. You know, it wasn't associate coach responsibility or assistant coach responsibility. There's a big difference between those two. You know, a lot of times it's just a title in all honesty, but it's a title that I think comes with uh, longevity. It comes with certainly the confidence that that person, if something happens in your absence or something needs to, uh, to so he needs to step up in your absence, then you have the confidence in that person of being able to do it. So Coach Palmer, uh, you know, he gave me that opportunity. Uh, you know, he labeled that, put that title on me, that label back in uh, our, our early uh, times here at Southern Miss. And Certainly, I embraced it and uh, was hoping for the opportunity to one day when he retired or moved on to get that opportunity. So uh, I think it's uh, it's a great it's a great way to to move yourself to the top. But I think it's one that certainly has to be earned. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing I wanted you to open up, but definitely to, you know, going over the years, uh, when you think back, what has changed in your coaching style over these years? Well, personally, it's, uh, I think probably, uh, less is more. You know, I think there was a time and, and probably at Meridian, the guys that we had there would probably tell you that, you know, we practiced forever, you know, mm -hmm. but that's kind of where I've been able to separate things and understand that, uh, you know, it's not all about just the, uh, the quantity. It's about the quality and, and time is, is so, uh, it's so important in how you use it. I think uh, if you overuse it, then you lose what you're trying to do. So probably backing off. Of course, the NCA has that in place where you can only do so many hours. But, you know, on a four-hour day, we might only work three hours. I mean, as long as we get in and get out of there, I'll, I would rather them be fresh, their minds fresh, their bodies fresh. If we're all in during that two-and-a-half, three-hour period, then that's what we need to do. So you know, probably what I've changed is, is that, you know, somebody, uh, I think there's probably some other things, you know, that we all kind of give with the facial hair and you know that sort of thing, which, <laughs> uh, you know, has kind of gone by the wayside. It used to be, you know, no sideburns below half your ear. Uh, and, and, you know, everything had to be clean shaved and only a mustache. So those things have certainly given over the years. Uh, so, you know, I think, 
as you get a little bit older, you you probably mellow a little bit, but you're still you're trying to develop young men who are going to go out one day and represent either on the baseball field or in the community, wherever they choose to to live and work uh, the best that they can based on the experiences that they had with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big battle when you first get into coaching is you're so close in age to the young guys, to some of those players, um, oftentimes even playing with some of them. You know, it's something I experienced when I first got into it. And kind of looking at that, what piece of advice do you have for young coaches when it comes to creating separation and maybe speeding up that maturation process a little bit? Well, I think, you know, it's kind of it's kind of one of those situations where you certainly want your own people in your program. Uh, you know, it's it's very advantageous to have one of your former players with you working. The because he knows he knows you, you know him, uh he he knows the tradition, everything that's gone into it. But what you have to be able to do is is you have to have a young man who's mature that has as we like to say put away childish ways. And uh, and like you said, that separation is very, very important. It's not only important for that young man and what he's trying to do, but it's also important for the respect that he is wanting from the players uh, from, from his standpoint as far as coaching. So, you know, I think certainly the separation is, is the number one thing when, you're, when your age is close to, to those that you're working with. But, you know, I think now you're a different role. Uh, you, you have to take on a different personality, not not tough guy, but just being able to separate and, and, and go a different direction off the field than maybe you did at one time when you were on the field with them. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, when you look back over these years as well, what's been your best source to develop yourself as a coach? I think just the player themselves in all honesty and how some of them have changed and how it's, it's, it's caused me to change and, and uh, work in a different direction. You know, sometimes change is not a bad thing. Change is hard sometimes, especially uh, guys like myself that's been in this. And I've, this is my 36th year, I think, in college coaching uh, with the first six you know, being there as a, as a student assistant, uh, graduate assistant, a volunteer. But there's been a lot of change. And I think with that, it helps you grow in being able to adjust. Because you know what? Every day, we basically ask these kids to go out here and adjust to get better. And I think if we're not willing to adjust ourselves, you know, how much better are we going to get? Because things do change, and you've got to be able to change with them. Yep. The game definitely is evolving and uh, we appreciate you opening that up for us, coach, and really sharing information and perspectives for our listeners uh, this morning. If any of those coaches listening in want to get a hold of you about anything that we've covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, probably email me at uh, scott.berry at usm.edu. So, uh, you know, clinics, you know, we've got the ABCA clinic that's coming up here in January a great net networking resource for young coaches and old coaches alike. You know, last year I went to Indianapolis. Honestly, it was the first time in, in, in a few years since I've been, but you know, it's, it's always uh, an energizer as you get ready to get going in, in February with your season. 
but it's also an excellent opportunity. I still have all my notes from the old ABCA uh, clinics that I attended back in the mid eighties with all the outlines and all the notes. And uh, so I never, I never got rid of those. And those were great, great uh, learning tools for me and, and opportunities to hear the greats out there speak about the game of baseball and, and uh, you know, how to, how to uh, go out and teach it. Well, Coach, hey, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and give it back to the game. Um, you know, again, picking your brain for a little bit. It was fun this morning, and uh, thank you for everything you've done for us. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Coach. Man, so awesome to have Coach uh, Barry jump on with us. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, it was great to get Coach on the show. What was your biggest takeaway? Um, I think my biggest takeaway when, you know, talking with these coaches that we have over the last couple of weeks, I kind of seen this um, interwebbing of kind of thoughts of how to develop, you know, players. And a lot of it comes down to, I think, especially these guys that have been in the game for a long time. One thing I always pull from them is just like how they uh, manage players and how they pull the, the puzzle pieces together. Well, you know, again, not every single one of them has, you know, an immense background in, you know, tech or like biomechanics or anything like that. Um, they do a really good job, I think, of managing people and putting people in the right roles to be successful. And, you know, again, letting people do their job. So they hire they hire people uh, to develop their players. And then um, as the you know manager, or the head coach, obviously, uh, they take they take those players and then again, uh, lead everybody and put everybody in a good position to be successful throughout the year to create those uh, wins in the wind column. So I think that's the biggest things that I pulled from, uh, you know, Coach Barry. How about you, Will? Yeah, man, I agree. I'm just kind of reiterating yours. I Kind of the different area of, era of coaches that we've had on and, you know, they come from different backgrounds of success. And, you know, I take away there's really no one way to do it. Uh, it's important to know what works for you, to know the coach that you are and to know, you know, how to put the the words together to get your guys to buy in. So I think it's interesting to hear that, you know, um, like you said, they might not know the the analytics and the and the data in depth, but whatever it takes to get the guys on the field to perform. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. Absolutely. And guys, again, another great episode for you guys to share. Um, you know, obviously Coach Barry has, you know, some tenure in the game and he's had some crazy success um, you know, over there over the past over his past uh, the tenure with the with the school as well. Um so great episode to share there. Um as always, guys. Um, share with us what, what thoughts you love from the show. Uh, make sure to enter our giveaway. It's got a whole bunch of things that we're giving out to you guys. Uh, definitely get that free train. Everybody likes something for free. So get on those. Uh, share that with your friends. Let them know that you're learning. But from us and our partners over at Rapsodo, until next time, Farm System out.